Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, you know, as we continue throughout this series uh, through 1 Corinthians, uh, I am just more and more and more uh, impressed something that God is impressing upon my life, my heart, just my, my very soul, it seems like, uh, is that although I continue to pursue Him, He is always in pursuit of me. That He's always seeking after me. That He has been chasing after me uh, before I was born. Uh, that, that God's grace is real and it's touchable and it's tangible. And there's a good news uh, that God has been uh, just constantly uh, looking to give to me throughout my entire life. And if you're anything like me, uh, part of that impression comes uh, because I recognize just exactly the dark areas I'm keenly aware, I have a sharp understanding of exactly where it is that my life isn't where I want it to be. Is, that, is it, anybody like you out there, can you identify with that? Uh, that? That you recognize, I know I'm a little further along the road than I was, but I'm not where I yet want to be. And you look back and you know you've moved someplace, uh, but you're like, ah. And it's in those cracks, it's in those spots that God's grace, His goodness, His pursuit of you, His seeking after you, His chasing after you uh, becomes all the more real. Am I the only one? I hope not. And it seems like as we pursue this idea of, of just being the church in a messy world, that we have to wrestle with this idea that God has been pursuit, in pursuit of us uh, from the very beginning. I've been captured by this book that I, I listened to uh, recently. It was written by a colleague of mine in my seminary days. It's called Between Two Trees. And he talks about God's pursuit of us. I'm just going to read this section for you. See if it speaks to you like it spoke to me. He says, between two trees, it's easy to forget that our God is a God who pursues recklessly, relentlessly. He furiously pursues not just some of creation, all of creation, and yet... It's easy to forget, even when the entire Bible sings this message, starting with the opening lyrics, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God moved toward us. In the beginning, God needed nothing, but He chose to create you. He chose to create me, and incredibly, He who chose to create us in His image. Why? Because our God is a God who pursues and the pursuit didn't end after the fall in Genesis 3 as we hid behind our fig leaves, united with death, traveling east of Eden. God didn't abandon us or avoid us like the elusive deities in the pagan pantheons. No! He pursued us. When we built Babel in Genesis 11, God called Abraham to bless all nations in Genesis 12. When we grumbled in the desert in Exodus 16, God gave us bread from heaven and water from a rock in Exodus 17. God moved toward us through His law in Exodus 20. Uh, God moved toward us through His prophets in Isaiah 1. Why? Because our God is a God who pursues. 
When we were without direction, He sent us judges. When we were without options, He immobilized the Son. When we were without hope, He became flesh and He dwelled among us. Time and again, God moves toward us to redeem us, to unite us to Him, uh, to return us to Eden. Whether we're talking about the tabernacle or the temple, the exodus or the exile, the incarnation or the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, over and over and over in Scripture, one thing is clear. Our God is a God who pursues persistently, passionately, shattering barriers, crossing boundaries, uh, interpreting heaven, interpenetrating, excuse me, interpenetrating heaven and earth to unleash His love on us, to restore us, to transform us, to be with us. God has been chasing after us. He's seeking after us. He's pursuing us. And there, in that message, is where we find ourselves this morning. As we pursue a mission of living like the church in a messy world, we find uh, that one of the places that our hearts need to rest is in the pursuit of people the way God has pursued us. And it's in this message of grace Grace becomes the baseline, the good news, the reception of God's pursuit of us becomes a baseline for how we begin to be the church. I mean, grace is a baseline for how it is that we begin to live. I mean, uh, grace is really the reason that I ought to live with sexual purity. Uh, grace is the reason that uh, even though there's disagreement between two people, uh, grace is the reason that I ought to give up legalism and that I ought to give up self-made rules uh, because I recognize that if I try and keep others according to my rule as opposed to, to God's grace, uh, then what I'm doing is I'm scandalizing God's grace and I'm not building the church, I'm tearing it down. And so this morning, uh, God's grace reaches out to us and it just simply asks us, will you pursue people of the way I pursued you? Will you chase after people the way I chased after? Will you seek after them as I sought after you? Uh, will you live out God's grace? Because when we live like the church in a messy world, uh, we will reach out to messy people. And there's a person that we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, he's a preacher who's living in a messy world. And living in a messy world, he realizes the need to live out God's grace and chase after people and seek after people and pursue people the way God pursued him. His name's the Apostle Paul. And this morning, as we open up the Bible, as we open up God's Word, that preacher is going to give us an example of what it looks like. Just like he did last week, he's going to say, hey, this issue of freedom isn't just for those who are in the church, it's for those who are outside of it. That we limit our, our, our liberties, our freedoms, our rights, uh, not just for those inside, but also for those who are outside the church, for the believer and the unbeliever, because God is a God who pursues. This is part of His grace. And so when we live like the church in a messy world, He's going to give us an example. He's going to uh, draw a picture for us uh, of, of something that He practiced. 
He's not going to just say, hey, by the way, this is a good thing to practice, and I'm going to practice something else. Uh, he's going to practice what he preaches and tell us about it. And then he's going to tell us why he does it. He's going to give us that million-dollar reason. He's going to invite us to recognize uh, why this is so important. He's going to motivate us. And then he's going to give us a hint of how we go about doing that. How do we pursue people? How do we seek them out? How do we chase after people the way God chased after us? And then he's going to say, hey, you know what? In a ministry like this, you have to watch your heart. You have to guard your, your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You have to, you have to be willing uh, to do this in, a, in the right way. Otherwise, you're going to be a little off track. You might find yourself trying to do the right thing, uh, but you end up doing it for the wrong reason and you disqualify yourself. And he's going to say, I have a little bit of wisdom for you about how you can go about living your life. So if you're interested in chasing after people the way God chases after you, if you want to pursue people and, and just live in this river of grace, the good news that you've received and you want others to have that same opportunity, open up the Bible with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. So if you're new to the Bible, just go into the back half of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts, and then Romans, and then 1 Corinthians, and then 2 Corinthians. But we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul's going to give us an example. He's saying, hey, I have, I have limited my freedom. I have given up my rights. Uh, I have voluntarily said I'm going to accept restriction uh, for the sake of other people. I am going to try and live out the grace that I have received from God in order to pursue other people. And I'm going to give you an example. And the example that he gives is one of money. He's going to say, hey, I, I have every right because of who you are and who I am uh, to ask you for money, but I, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And he goes, he takes extreme measures to say, I had the right. And here's what we need to hear. Some of you may be sitting there thinking, I have the right to do a lot of things. I have the freedom to do a lot of things. In fact, I'm offended that, that you would ask me to limit my liberty. It's not fair. I don't like that. And Paul is going to say to you, hey, I want you to think hard. Because Paul is going to give lots and lots and lots of illustration. He's going to, uh, to prove with reason after reason why he has every right and every freedom that this belongs to him. And he's going to say, I gave it up anyway. Look with me at the very beginning of chapter 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And this is my defense to those who are sitting in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? 
Don't we have the right to take on a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Go down to verse 11. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? Uh, Paul says, hey, uh, you're the seal of my apostleship. In other words, what he's saying is, hey, you're Christians as a result of my ministry. Uh, has, has anybody ever gone on a mission trip before? Uh, sometimes when you go on a mission trip, especially if it's rather expensive, what do you do? You write a letter. Hey, this is where I'm going, and this is what I'm doing, and this is how it benefits the Gospel, and here's the people we're going to reach, and here's the things we're going to do. Has, have anybody, and some of you, know of these letters? If you haven't written one, maybe you've received one. When we send out those letters, who do we send them to? Do we send them to total strangers? Do we hand them out on street corners? No. What do we do? We hand them out to other Christians, don't we? Hey, you have a similar mission in mind. And Paul is here saying, hey, I'm not handing out the letter to you, although I have every right to do it. You're a Christian because of my ministry. You're a seal. You're a certificate of the fact that I am doing what I say I'm going to do. And if I was going to ask for money, you'd be one of the first ones I'd ask. Because you have a vested interest in what I'm doing here. You're a Christian because of me. That's what he's saying. Do I have the right? And if that were not enough, if that were not enough, he gives us some everyday examples. He says, not only are you a seal, a certificate of my apostleship, my ministry of the Gospel, of God pursuing you, of grace finding you, he says, you don't act this way in your everyday life. And he asks lots of questions. Look at verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Answer, no one. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Answer, no one. Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? You know the answer. It's like going back to Jaden back there. Jaden's working in the back booth. Did you know that Jaden works at McDonald's? If you go by McDonald's, I bet you once in a while that Jaden might be taking a fry. Or, or maybe a Big Mac or a, a quarter pounder with cheese. I don't know, but, uh, but it's like saying, hey, Jaden works at McDonald's. Isn't the one who works at McDonald's uh, able to get a discount from McDonald's? That's what he's saying. He's saying this is how the real world works. I have every right to ask you for financial support. I can ask you for money. He said, ministry people get paid for ministry, doing ministry. And I could ask you for that, he says. It's well within my rights. I have the freedom to do that with you. And you would think that that'd be enough. But Paul goes on. He says, I'm going to give you another reason. And this time he goes to the Scriptures. He says, I, I've talked to you about your own experience. I've told you that you're my seal as an apostle. I've told you from everyday experience that you know this to be true. But now, I'm going to take you back into the Bible. If, you, if you're not going to trust me with this other stuff, let me 
take you back to the Bible. I have the freedom to do this. Look at verse 8. He says, do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law, doesn't the Torah, say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Is it about? Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely He says this for us, doesn't He? Yes, yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. He says, hey, hey I could ask you for money. It's fully within my right. It's, it's not just in your experience. It's actually a part of God's law. And maybe some of you have been in places in the world where where they don't have large machinery like we have in the Midwest. They don't have combines, but they do have large oxen. They have cows. And in places in the world, they still have to harvest their grain by hand. I've actually seen this happen. I've seen it happen with lentils. It's kind of like a bean. And in order to, to separate the lentil or the bean uh, from the stalk, they'll, they'll lay all of the lentils out on the ground and they'll walk cows or an oxen in a circle around it. And the law was there to say, hey, if your ox or your cow is working hard for you, you ought to work hard for them. Let them have a little bit of the harvest. And Paul is using this and he's saying, hey, you know what? Preachers are like cows. If they're working hard for you, make sure that they have a little peace. And you would think that he's done, wouldn't you? You'd think that that's enough reasons for him to say, I have the right! I have the privilege! I have the freedom! I don't have to limit my, my liberties! But this is where Paul pulls the ace out of his pocket. He lays it on the pile and he says, I've got even something better and he talks to us a little bit about the priests who would get their living from the temple. And then he tells us, hey, Jesus says so. You want a, you want a card that, that you can lay on anything else? You want the ace card? Uh, just say, Jesus says. And that's what Paul does. Look at verse 13. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? And that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? This is how they made their living. In the same way, the Lord, he's talking about Jesus, has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Jesus says to those in Matthew 10 that he sends out, a worker is worth his keep. And here's what I want you to hear. Here's why I bother going through this litany of lists of reasons uh, that Paul gives as to why he is able to have financial support from the Corinthians. It's because some of us might be sitting there thinking, I have all the rights in the world. I have the right to do this. It's my right. I am not going to give it up. You can't tell me to do anything other than that. And Paul is saying, I have at least as many reasons as you have. And I want you to hear why. I want you to hear the reason that he's willing to give up all the reasons. He says it's for the Gospel. Look at verse 12. Second half of verse 12, he says, 
but we did not use this right. We didn't use this right. Look at verse 15. But I have not used any of these rights. And I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such a thing for me. I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. Look at verse 18. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the Gospel I may offer it free of charge so that, and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the Gospel. He said, I would rather die. I would rather eat dog food. I would rather go without to make sure that God's grace, uh, that the message of His good news is able to be received by you. He said, I'm willing to give up everything in order for, for you to understand what's going on here. I am voluntarily going to give up my freedom uh, so that you can receive the Gospel. It really begins to sound like Jesus, doesn't it? Giving up everything? It seems like what Paul is doing here is prompting us to give up everything, doesn't it? It seems like what Paul is doing here is, is inviting us into pursuit of people uh, with the Gospel of God uh, so that we might not hinder the Gospel. So that we might not get in the way of the Gospel. Look at the latter end of verse 12. I didn't read it earlier on purpose. It says, on the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the Gospel of Christ. Uh, why in the world should you give up anything? Why in the world should you restrict your freedom or limit a liberty? Why should you give up a right that clearly belongs to you? Paul says, maybe you ought to do it because the Gospel is worth it. Maybe you should give it up because God's grace that now lives inside of you is worth it. That there is a message that is larger than you and so that you would not hinder the Gospel, uh, so that you would not step in someone's way, uh, so that the Gospel uh, could be free uh, to be received without any obstruction by those who haven't yet heard it, I want you to limit your, li your, your, your liberty. I want you to understand that you can give up freely uh, your freedoms. Why? Because God pursued you with His grace and His good news and now you have the opportunity to live in pursuit and chase and search for and seek after other people. And He begins to tell us how we do this. He says, if you want to do this well, then you voluntarily you freely accept restriction. Look at what he says in verse 19. He says, though I am free. Do you hear that? I'm free. I have liberties. I have rights. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I'll accept slavery for the sake of the Gospel. If you walk throughout Paul's writings, you know he gives up a lot for the sake of the Gospel. He'll give up food and drink and he'll give up sex and he'll give up uh, housing and he'll give up comfort and he'll put himself in prison all so that he might 
partner and share in the blessing of a gospel. Isn't that cool? And he invites us into that same pathway. He says, will you give up for the sake of God's good news, for the sake of pursuing people? Will you, will you voluntarily make yourself a slave so that the gospel can be heard? Will you do that? Will you give up your rights? This is God's grace. You see, Paul wants to win, doesn't he? Five times in this passage, he's going to say, I want to win! I want to win! I want to win! I want to win! And when he says he wants to win, what he's saying is, I want people uh, to experience God's grace the same way that I got to experience it. I want them to know that God is living in pursuit of them just like He was living in pursuit of me. I want them to know that God is seeking and chasing after them just like He sought and chased after me. I want them to know that they are saved because of God's grace. Look, look with me. Would you look at verse 20? He says, To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became the weak. To win the weak I had become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the Gospel that I might share in its blessing. Now, at first sight, i got to be honest with you, when I read uh, verse 20 through 23, and Paul is like, I became like this for that guy and became like this for this, this gal, uh, I'm beginning to think, like, uh, Paul, are you just talking about hypocrisy? Are you talking about like, be becoming like a Christian politician? You know, I'm going to say what this group wants to hear, and then I'm going to say what this group wants to hear. Years ago, Max Lucado said uh, uh, there was the Yayuk Man. Maybe you are familiar with the Yayuk Man. And the Yayuk Man would come into one group and he would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he would say to the same thing, uh, to another group he would go, yuck, 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 the Yayuk Man. And there's a part of me that goes, Paul, are you advocating that we're the Yayuk Man? No. That's not what Paul is saying at all. He's saying, in your Christian identity, would you invest your life into the lives of others at such a level that they could not help but hear the Gospel come through you? I have had the opportunity to, uh, to be at several CIY conferences, Christ and Youth Conferences. And, and, and every night, it's like the culmination of everything that's gone on during the day, and there's this, this large worship service, and it's really rocking, I'm just telling you. But you know, not a single time at a Christ and Youth Conference, at the end of the service, have they sung just as I am. Not a single one. Not great is thy faithfulness. And those are meaningful songs to many of us, aren't they? We like those songs. But they don't sing them as CIY. Why not? 
It's because Christ and youth understand something about reaching teens, don't they? You see, teens are a different culture. They're a different audience. And so what they're saying uh, in a very real way is, you know what, to the teens, we're going to become like teens to win teens. That's what they're saying. You see, missionaries get this, don't they? I've talked with and heard stories of missionaries in Muslim, primarily Muslim and Islamic countries. You know what oftentimes missionaries, Christian missionaries in Islamic countries need to do? You see, the Muslims will pray regularly at least three to five times a day. They will get out. If you've ever been in an Islamic country, you know at uh, five in the morning there is a call to prayer and all the Muslims are to gather and they're put, to put their uh, knees on the ground and begin to pray to Allah. In those areas, you know what missionaries need to do in order to reach those who are Muslim? In order to show themselves as devoted to God, you know what they do? They get their own prayer carpet. And when the Muslims are praying to Allah, they're praying, praying to the Christian God in order to show that they have devotion to their God. So they will go into those areas and they'll become like one so that they could win those who are not. There's a preacher that I'm aware of and, uh, and he preaches in the United States in a heavily Mormon area. And you know what? Every Sunday, he wears a full suit. Tie, white shirt. You know why he does? It's not because he loves wearing suits and ties. It's because if he is going to reach the Mormons... He's going to have to demonstrate something to allow them to hear God's Word, His, God's grace in their own language. What's that look like for you? What's that look like for you and your story? Will you say to the, to the scrapbooker, I will become like a scrapbooker to win the scrapbookers? Will you say to the... To the farmer, I will become like a farmer in order to win the farmers. To the single, I will become like a single so that I can win the singles. To the coaches, I will become like a coach to win the coaches. Are you with me? I will, I will do whatever it takes. I will limit my freedoms. I will, I will freely accept the restriction and become a slave to God's grace so that others might be able to pursue God the way God pursued me. You see, it's all about allowing people to hear God in their language. I was reading a sermon this week. I was reading a sermon this week, and I wanted to share with you just a line from that sermon. I thought it was so pointed that I give it to you. You have the privilege of being the bearer of the best message that any individual will ever receive in his or her entire life. Remember, this is good news, not bad news. And you are the message. 
You're told to be a shining star, a fragrant aroma, a living epistle read by every person, pursuing people the way God pursued us is allowing the non-Christian to turn the pages of the book of your life and read the fine print and hear the music of the Gospel. Uh, So just as much as Acts 2 was about God uh, delivering God's message and His grace and and the language of people so that they could all understand, we all have that responsibility because we've experienced God's grace. Because he has pursued us because he has sought and chased after us and so now we're chasing after others so if you know a lawyer talk law if you know a farmer talk about the machinery if you walk into your neighbor's house and there are heads everywhere there's a deer head over here and an elk head over here and a boar head over there and, and maybe a giraffe or something, uh, then you better talk hunting. If you meet a neighbor or a friend or a colleague and they have an Iowa State hat and they have an Iowa State hoodie and they're wearing Iowa State pants, then you drop down to your knees right then and there and you plead for their soul. No, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Oh, I had to do that. I just couldn't resist. No, no, what do you do? You begin to talk college football. Because you want them to understand the language of God's grace for themselves. Do you hear it? It's about God's grace. It's about God living in pursuit of us. And so we accept the responsibility to pursue others. And he gives us some wise ways about how to do that. He says, you've got to be careful not to disqualify yourself. You see, this kind of ministry can be exhausting. As we live our lives fully and our engines are full throttle toward living for the Gospel of God, he says, don't be disqualified. You've got to be focused. You have to have your goal. And you have to have, you have, to have some discipline in order to get to where you want to go. In the last several verses of this chapter, he says, you got to have a goal and you got to be disciplined. Listen to what he says. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, This is the reason that I'm telling you all this, he says. I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Uh, He's essentially saying this. Hey, if you are living your life to try and pursue people the way God has pursued you, if you're chasing after and seeking after in the way uh, God's grace has pursued you, uh, don't be disqualified yourself because you got lost along the way. You see, there are some people, some Christians, and they started in the right spot, but, he, but he's really trying to say they didn't end in the right spot. You see, the runners and the athletes, they were disciplined and they were focused and they had a goal in mind. He's saying, don't get so caught up in the work of the Lord, you forget the Lord of the work. Remember that this is for Jesus, not for you. 
Don't disqualify yourself. Church, when we live like the church in a messy world, we pursue them with the same sort of passion that God pursued us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you and we thank you for your goodness. And we, we ask, Lord, that you will just set a seed of passion and compassion uh, in our hearts so that others might come to know who you are. That they will know and love you. And Lord, let this grace, this river of grace, just flow through our life. And may we allow it to tell us and to show us and to, to infringe upon us to take us places that we didn't think we wanted to go. But may we respond to Your grace and live differently. And may we pursue others the way You have pursued us. We love You in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.